Amen. Thank you, Melissa. If I were to sing that song, that's exactly how I would try to do it. Good morning. Jesus is alive. If you did not know, He's alive and well. He's on the throne. And He's got a word for you. I know some of you thought that you would never find yourself in a Baptist church on Easter Sunday. And you're here. Now check your pulse and make sure you're still breathing. You're okay. No, God is here. He's got a word for you. And so right now I'd like us just to simply pray one more time and just just ask God if He will do what only He can do in our lives and in our hearts. And I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible, if you have one, if you don't, that's okay, to John chapter 20. We have a copy of it we're going to throw up on the screen. And I'm about to share with you a sermon titled, Believing Thomas. Believing Thomas. As you turn to John chapter 20, let's pray and ask God to bless the reading of His Word. Father, together we say thank you, thank you, thank you for the blood that was spilt on our behalf, for the body that was broken. And God, we thank you for gathering us here today to worship you, the one true living God. And Father, we acknowledge that there are that all of us are in different phases of life. And God, there's many troubles in many people's lives today, and they're here, and they're asking, and they're begging, and they're hoping that you will meet them where they are. And God, we believe because of your character, because of who you are, you are willing to meet them there. So God, we pray right now, God, that you would let your word come alive in our hearts. And God, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross. God, I pray that I would decrease and that Christ would increase. And God, I pray for your anointing and your Holy Spirit to fill this place. And we ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31 is where we'll be focused today. Have you ever been troubled before? Troubled. I mean, really troubled. Maybe it was trying to get your taxes paid. Maybe you had a car wreck. Maybe it was news from a doctor. Well, in the Bible, one day, the disciples, the twelve disciples that Jesus had, were very troubled. And so Jesus wanted to encourage them. And this is what He says in John 14. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in Me. And then he says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. He says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And Thomas, in the group, Thomas was the apostle that was the realist. He was the practical one. He was the detail guy. And he spoke up, and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus replies in an epic statement that would shake the very halls of history. He responds in this way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
It was Thomas that showed great courage one day when Jesus was going to go back to his city to heal his friend Lazarus. There were people that, who wanted to kill Jesus and kill the disciples. And Jesus said, I'm going to go. And it was Thomas that spoke up and he said, Let us go also that we may die with him. You see, Thomas gets a bad rap in our culture, in our church culture. Throughout history, he's been titled and, and known for what? Doubting. Old doubting Thomas. But you know, the Bible doesn't ever really refer to Thomas that way. All of the times we see Thomas in the Bible, it's commendable. Even when he just wanted to see the hands and the feet, and the body that was broken. And so Thomas was a great man of God. Let's look in John chapter 20, verses starting in verse 24, and let's read the passage. Now Thomas, now this is after Jesus had risen from the grave, to give you some context. Jesus is alive, but Thomas, he wanted to see for himself. So now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So in other words, when Jesus first appeared, not all the disciples saw him, just a few of them. So Thomas wasn't there. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Thomas says, Unless I see the hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Wow. There's three charges today I'd like to charge and challenge you with from this passage. Number one, never say never when you are living in God's world. Never say never. By the way, you are living in God's world. Today, if you're breathing, you're breathing His oxygen. If your heart's pumping, you're, it's, it's, it's God's heart that He created. If you uh, brushed your teeth this morning, which hopefully you did, the water that came out of that faucet, God created it. He causes the sun to shine and the flowers to bloom. And anything is possible with Him. Never say never when you're living in God's world. They said the New Orleans Saints would never win the Super Bowl. And they did. It told Michael Jordan, you'll never be a great basketball player. He was cut from his varsity basketball team. Well, he became a great player. Jonah said the Ninevites would never repent. They did. Pharaoh said he would never let the Israelites go. He did. They said Goliath would never fall. He fell. 
They said Hitler would never be stopped. He was stopped. Some people here today said, I'll never go to the Baptist church on Easter. You know you said it. It's okay. Some, some of you are thinking, I'm never going to get through this sermon. Some of you told your mom, I'm never going to church. There's some in the crowd today that you said, my marriage is never going to get better. There's many thinking today that God can never forgive me for what I have done. I mean, just acknowledge it. If you've thought that, just kind of say it to yourself. Yeah, that's kind of where I am. I don't think God would forgive me for all of the things that I've done. And I want to tell you today, friend, we want to tell you as other believers around you, that if God can forgive us, He can forgive you. Jesus loves you today. He knows where you're at. And He can do the impossible in your life if you let Him. He created the mountains and He can make them fall down. He alone tells the waves how far they can come. He tells the planets all scattered out through the universe which direction to rotate around their star. He tells every star what temperature to burn. He can do anything. And so some people here today, you have very real questions for the Lord. Let's just be honest. You have a lot of very real, honest questions, just like Thomas. And maybe that's why you're kind of excited that we're talking about a man who is bold enough to ask a strong question. And you can identify with Thomas. And so if you're asking questions, we want to encourage you to seek the truth. And I believe if you seek the truth with all your heart, you'll find Him and He'll set you free. You see, the Bible says eight days later. It was eight days later that they were in this room. Verse 26. Eight days, Thomas had to wrestle with God. He heard about it. Jesus is alive, but he didn't see him. And so he struggled. And for eight days, he went to sleep every night thinking, could it be true? He said he was going to do it, and I know he can do it. I've seen him raise dead people back from, bring dead people back to life before. So Thomas knew Jesus could do it if he wanted to. And I believe those eight days, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened But I believe Thomas was excited. I believe he was excited and anxious and in anguish because he was struggling to understand the full ramifications of the gospel. And for eight days he would eat his food and he would think about it. Can it be possible that Jesus is alive? And if he's alive, how come he hasn't shown himself to me? Am I not good enough? Am I not as special as the other disciples? And all the while, God loved him and had a plan. And he was at work. 
Eight days he tossed and turned. Eight days he struggled. And he knew it was possible, but he wanted extra proof. He wanted Lanyap proof. He understood that if Jesus was alive, this would be the ultimate validation, the ultimate proof of the gospel. It would mean that whoever would repent and believe in the gospel could be saved for all eternity. And I believe he was excited about that. Second charge from this passage is this. Never assume it is going to be easy following the Lord. You'll notice there uh, in verse 26, towards the end, the disciples were inside this house and Thomas was there. And although the doors were locked, what does that mean? It means that the doors were locked. It means, now, if you have to lock your doors, there is a reason. And you know what the reason was for the disciples? There were people looking for them. There were people looking for them so that they could kill them. Because their Savior was offensive to them. Never assume it's going to be easy following the, the Lord. The doors were locked because there were physical threats. People hate the truth. We saw last night and this morning, if you've seen the news, several churches in Sri Lanka have been bombed. Many, many Christians have been killed today. Why is that? Why does the world hate the truth so much? Why does the world hate the cross Billy Graham says the cross directly confronts the evil in our world. You see, the cross says that you have a sin problem, and we don't like to hear that. The cross says you have a need that you cannot satisfy on your own. The cross says you have a problem, and that God has a problem with you. But the cross also means hope. Because Jesus died on the cross. He became your sin on your behalf so you may have life. Following the Lord requires us to take up our own cross. And friend, if your Christianity today does not involve taking up a cross, then you need to take it back to the cookie cutter cultural Christianity factory where you found it. Take it back. And get a new cross. Because if the hardest thing in your life is just the the everyday troubles that everybody has, the normal struggles of life which happen every single day, but if you don't have any adversity coming because of your faith, then friend, you're not taking up your cross. You're just living life, doing your own thing. You see, when you follow the Jesus of the Bible, you will face adversity. You'll be hated because of your faith. There is a way today, though, if you come by way of the cross. Jesus loved you so much, He died on that cross. And third but not least, third charge from this passage, 
Now's the time in, this, in the message where you can take your elbow and wake them up. Okay? The third charge in the passage. Never doubt God's Word. Never doubt God's Holy Word. More than anything, Satan wants you to doubt this Word, this Holy Word from God. Look what happened. Jesus came and He stands among them and He says, Peace be with you. Now, He didn't have to open the door. He, he just appeared. But He appeared in the flesh. And He looks at Thomas. He says, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. In other words, Thomas, I told you, didn't I tell you? I told you so. Believe. Do not disbelieve anymore. You can trust my word. 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Eyewitnesses. No other religion in the world has so many textual proofs, so many archaeological proofs, so many scientific proofs, so many eyewitness accounts as Christianity. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. Jesus looks at Thomas. He says, hey, Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And look at Thomas, his confession of faith. He says, my Lord and my God. I believe. I see it fully. My Lord and my God. Don't let anybody ever tell you that Thomas's life was marked by unbelief. Sure, he had some doubts. And when he did, God met him right there. Thomas's faith carried him halfway around the globe. I'd like to tell you the rest of the story of Thomas, and then we'll have our invitation time. Invitation is when we respond to the reading of God's Word. I have two friends who live in, well, actually more than that, but I have two Indian friends who are pastors in India. Jay Carr, who I went to seminary with. Jay Carr, really epic mustache, really nice flat top haircut, sharp dressing. Jay Carr is a pastor in southern India. And then I have a friend, Emmanuel, which many of people in our church, Emmanuel Varghese, who is a, a missionary church planner pastor in the northern part of India. And so I asked these guys, hey, tell me about Thomas. I know Thomas went to India. Tell me about him. And I'd like to share with you what these guys tell me that Indian Christian tradition is about the Apostle Thomas. And this would match up and line up directly with what our church history accounts, early church writings that we have. Thomas went by ship to Kerala, India, which is the southwestern part of India. So if you're looking at India on a map, the southwestern part of the country, on the coast, similar to Bay St. Louis, except for they had coconut trees. 
You may have a coconut tree in your house, but I didn't know about that. And people here in A.D. 52 were strong in their idol worship. They believed all kinds of strange things. They had all kinds of idols and creatures in the sky that they worshipped. And they had Hindu priests. And they were a very religious culture. And so Thomas decided that he was going to help win some of those Hindu priests to the Lord. He, He thought, if I can get some of those priests to receive Christ, it'll impact the entire region. And so Thomas went one day, they would always go out by the ocean, and they would worship these creatures, and they would pour out water for all of the creatures, the sun creatures, and all these strange idols that they had. And so one day, Thomas met them by the sea. And he says, guys, I believe there's a higher power than all of your other gods. Now, they could have killed him at this point, but they didn't. And Thomas said, I'll put you to a challenge. You pour out water to your sea creatures, and then I'll pour out my water. And if the water that I pour out stands still, then you will know that Jesus is the one true living God. And church tradition tells us that that happened. Thomas poured his water out, and it stood still, supernaturally. Four of those priests received Christ. Four of those priests were baptized in the high Hindu caste. Today, Kerala Malabar Christians claim that they are the descendants of these four families. The Apostle Thomas, listen to this, built seven, planted seven and a half churches. I don't know how you have a half church, but maybe the church is not there yet. Maybe there's just one person. So if you have two, then you have a church. Seven and a half churches that are still in existence today. In fact, these could be the oldest churches, local churches, on the planet. You see why doubting Thomas doesn't fit Thomas? Believing Thomas. It was his faith and those nail-scarred hands that caused him to travel halfway across the world to take the gospel to people that needed to hear it. In A.D. 72, church history tells us that Thomas was murdered. Many of the Indian Christians say that it was a hunting arrow by Hindu priests that killed him. Other Christians say that it was a spear on a hunting accident. Not an accident, it happened on purpose. They hunted Thomas. It was a spear that killed him, but we know he died in A.D. 72. Emmanuel Varhees, the friend I was sharing with you about, his parents believe the historical record in India shows that their family comes and traces back to these four Hindu, former Hindu priests who received Christ. Phenomenal. Now, one more story and then we'll get ready to close. Ravi Zacharias. Anybody ever heard of him? Famous teacher, of apologist. Ravi Zacharias is from India. He's from Kerala, the same place where Thomas went. Somewhere down the line, somebody in Ravi Zacharias' family received Christ and they changed their last name to Zacharias. Zacharias is not an Indian name. It's a biblical name. And so somebody 
changed their life. The Lord changed their life. An article by Christianity Today titled Antidote to Poison gives Ravi's story about when he came to know Christ. This is hard to believe because he's a brilliant scholar, but he, he performed miserably in school. Anybody struggle in school? That was Ravi Zacharias. He was failing all of his classes as a young college student. His family was so disappointed. His dad was so disappointed in Ravi. He was the life of the party. He loved sports. He loved his friends, but he hated school. And there was something empty, empty in his life. He had all these friends, yet when he would go home, he would be miserable and lonely. Suicide is a very common thing in India, and so Ravi Zacharias made the decision to, to commit suicide. And so he stole some in the chemistry lab on his college campus. He stole four packets of poison, mixed them in water, and drank them, trying to end his life. He passed out and thought that was the end, but he woke up in a hospital bed. In that hospital, Youth for Christ director named Fred brought him a Bible. Fred handed Ravi's mother the Bible and turned it to John chapter 14. After Fred left the room, Ravi's mother began to read John chapter 14 out loud. And Ravi hears this, these words from Jesus, Because I live, you also will live. Ravi sat up in his bed. Who is speaking? She said, Jesus is speaking. And Ravi prayed right there. He said, Jesus, if, if this is you, if you are the one that gives life as it is meant to be, God, if you'll get me out of this hospital, I'll leave no stone unturned to discovering the truth. That's what happened. He gets out of the hospital. Before he leaves the hospital, a doctor comes to him and says, Do you really want to live? I mean, really, do you want to live, Ravi? We can help get the poison out of your stomach, but you have got to decide, do you want to live? And today, there's many people here, and you have got to decide for your own self if you want to live and have life. God wants you to live, and you can live because He is alive, but you have got to decide if you want it. Ravi makes a public commitment to Christ. He enters the ministry and his mom and dad, who were just nominal cultural Christians who never really received Christ, they went to church, they had the church closed, they knew all the songs, but they did not know Jesus. There's some people here today. You know all about church, but you don't have a relationship with the living God. And Ravi's mom and dad repented and received Christ and became Christians and were baptized. Ravi says that the change in his father was the most dramatic conversion he had ever seen. He says, for a man of his pride to pledge to conform to Christ had to be a miracle of God. John chapter 14 mentioned Thomas. You see the, how neat God just kind of orchestrates history? And then it was Thomas that came and brought the gospel to his country. God is in the business of changing lives. Today you are here. And you say, Pastor, I hear all this stuff, but what does it mean? How do I, how do I really, if I decide I want to live, how do, I, how, how, how do I start this thing with God? Well, here's how. Number one, you've got to understand that you're lost. 
You have to come to understand. And, and God, this is a supernatural work of God. He opens your eyes to help you see your sin and realize you're a sinner. And when you realize it, you say, oh my goodness. You, you, you realize that, that you have sinned against the Holy God. So number one, you've got to realize that you need salvation. Number two, you need to hear and understand that Jesus provided salvation for you on the cross. And that's what we've been talking about. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus did all the work on the cross, and He rose from the grave so you would not have to do that. Isn't that good news today? You don't have to do anything else to be saved, to be right with God, except for repent. So that's how you receive Christ. You have to repent. You have to say, God, I want to turn away from a lifestyle filled up with sin, and God, I want to follow you today. And you simply repent, and then you believe. You say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm going to turn away from lifestyle sin, and God, I want to put all my hope and my faith in Jesus. And when you do that, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You're justified by your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. You say, that, 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 that sounds too simple. That sounds too easy. Something cannot be right. Maybe they didn't teach you that in the church you grew up in. Friend, I want to tell you, that's what, exactly what the Bible says. I know it's too good to be true, isn't it? You simply come by faith and receive. You see, God, is, God made Himself man. All the world religions are trying to climb this ladder to get to God. But Christianity, biblical Christianity, is the only one where our God came to us. He came to do what we couldn't do. He came to pursue us. And He's in the house today, and He's coming after you. And He wants you to know Him. And He wants to set you free. He wants to forgive you. So we're going to have a response time. And in that response time, you can come. And you can receive Christ. You can come and pray. You can pray where you are. Maybe you need to say, Pastor, my marriage is on the rocks, and I just we need to pray about this thing. We can. Maybe you can just come to the altar. Maybe you want to pray about a need. You're welcome to do that. But you've got to decide if you want to live, truly live and have life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray.